0: Anger Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. It's a joy to be with you once again this morning. Those of you who couldn't make it last evening, uh, I mentioned the fact that um, you are most welcome to visit us in Zambia. Some of you can already remember my announcement there. Would really want to see you in our church, but um, I added the fact that we do have one of the uh, World's seven natural wonders, and that's the Victoria Falls. So that would be a good bonus for you to come over. Just don't attempt the bungee jumping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the younger section of the world does that. This uh, this evening, I will say a, f- a few things about the uh, the um, the Lord's work in Zambia and. Um, it's, it's quite closely tied up with, with the Lord's work in, in the United Kingdom, uh, at least three immediate ways that I will mention in passing as I give a little bit of the, the history. One is um, the individual named David Livingstone. He uh, came from Scotland and uh, pioneered the opening up of Central Africa. And in fact, he was so beloved by the people there that when he died, they opened him up and took his heart out and planted it uh, on Zambian soil. And uh, when Zambia became independent in 1964, they changed all the the names of the cities from names out here, except one city up to now, it is still called uh, Livingstone. So that goes to show you the affection of the local people uh, for this man. One uh, further point was that 100 years after his death, which was in 1973, um, the, right across the whole country we filled up various stadiums to commemorate his, his life. Um, the Baptist work in Zambia was also uh, has also got its roots from the United Kingdom. In fact, one of the first two pioneer missionaries to, to Zambia to start the Baptist work was set apart for missions work by Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Uh, so that's how closely we are related even to C.H. Uh, Spurgeon back home. And then the longest-serving Baptist missionary was a lady by the name of Olive Dock, rather born in England, got converted in New Zealand, heard God's call to the mission field in South Africa, and then served in Zambia until she died in 1970 after about 56 years of missions work there. However, I'll speak a little more about our own missions work, the church planting work that we're involved in, um, which is completely indigenous. These are indigenous pastors that are being sent out all over Zambia and all over Southern Africa, including the latest one being Sierra Leone and uh, We've planted roughly about uh, 45 churches in the last 25 or so years. So I hope you'll be around to come and hear a little bit more about that work. It's uh, something the Lord himself is doing. And I'm pretty sure you know that our role is that of prayer, pleading with him. That he might do a work that will continue to bear fruit long after we are gathered with our fathers. This morning in our Bible reading, uh, I want to particularly share with you on the subject of God's faithfulness as a tonic for weary souls. God's faithfulness as a tonic for weary souls. So I'll ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. Now, strictly speaking, what I'll be sharing with you begins all the way from chapter 32, but we wouldn't have the time to read all those chapters at once. So what I want us to do now is to read the text that will really be where our hearts hope to rest. I have noticed that in the program, uh, it was written as Exodus 34, verse 9. Uh, that's completely my fault. I have counterchecked. I should have been a little bit more careful. It's actually verse 6. So it's uh, Exodus 34 and verse 6. Uh, 6 and 9 look alike, but I still wouldn't use that as the excuse. <laughs> Let's begin with the first verse. Exodus 34 The Lord said to Moses Cut for yourself Two tablets of stone Like the first And I'll write on the tablets The words that were on the first tablets Which you broke Be ready by the morning And come up in the morning To Mount Sinai And present yourself there to me On the top of the mountain No one shall come up with you. And let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. I'll read that again because that's, that's a real treasure trove. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And we are told, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. The reason why I have thought of sharing this topic with you is because the work of missions is, is not easy. It has its mountaintop experiences And one would wish that we would always remain on the mountaintops. But it also has its valleys. And what makes its valleys that much more painful is that often the missionary is very far away from home. And hence the sense of loneliness created by distance. Even today, when we have so much technology that enables us to see one another on computer screens, that's still not a substitute enough. It can be very lonely. And there are many situations that cause that. Just a week or two ago, I got an email from a missionary friend, international missionary, who was now packing up his bags and leaving. We ourselves are about to recall one of our missionaries that we sent out about a year and a half ago. So both from the sending and also from the being sent, there are situations that, uh, that, that cause you to, uh, to fail to sleep at night and sometimes to even drench your pillow with tears that's nothing new that's what moses went through at this time he had always been a reluctant servant of god not because he did not believe in god but he he always felt he was the the most unfit candidate for the kind of work that god had placed on his shoulders And it was purely out of obedience to the Lord that he finally went about the task of bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. Every step of the way seemed to have been riddled with all kinds of hurdles to cross. From the time he had dealings with with Pharaoh trying to convince him to let the people of Israel go, all the way to the time of crossing the actual Red Sea, and then even in the actual um, land, in, in the desert, it was again one event after the other. And so when, when Moses ends this section by referring to the people of God as a stiff-necked people, he was speaking from his guts. He knew them that way. It was painful. But perhaps the most painful experience took place after he had met with God on Mount Sinai and received the, the two tablets of stone that comprised the Ten Commandments. He had been in the very presence of God. He came down with his face shining because of that reality. And yet, as he reaches the bottom, he, he finds the people of Israel in revelry. They, they, they were dancing around an idol that they themselves had made. And we know the story of the golden calf. It was such a disaster to Moses that in that moment of anger, he broke those two tablets of stone. It was a very discouraging moment. And he, as much as possible, sought to have dealings with God in processing this. And it is these dealings with God that I want us to think about. Because ultimately, that's where any weary soul in ministry ought to find encouragement. Now, I'm not a missionary myself. At the most, I can refer to my role as that of sending and supporting missionaries. But even in that context of, of being a church pastor that's, of a church that's involved in the work of missions, I, I know something of what Moses was talking about in this passage of Scripture. Uh, and also, the, the, the aspect of locking oneself up with God. It can be a real tonic for the soul. So what do we learn from this? First of all, as I said, I want us to look at verse 6, where the Lord passed before Moses and said to him these wonderful words, the Lord, the Lord A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I want to say, first of all, that events such as what Moses was going through should be normal to all of us simply because life is real. It's not something that is written out of comic strips meant to give us a bit of fun. Life is real, and as already said, it has its mountaintops, it also has its valleys. And no doubt, especially for Christian leaders, it only adds to the sense of weariness. Because let's face it, we all only have one life to live. All of us. And how you would wish that whatever the work is that God has put onto your hands, that is going to continue going like this up and up and up and up until one day you disappear into glory. Especially because our work involves that of serving other people. S-E-R-V. Surely you would expect that, at the least out of a sense of gratitude, people would be less selfish. And especially that they know that you, you have given your very life for their well-being. And yet, often, like Moses, while you are up the mountain meeting with God, they are down there giving vent to their fallen passions. Now that can be heartbreaking. That can be heartbreaking. If it was perhaps a job that you had been doing that was unrelated to ministry, you know exactly what you would have immediately done: throw in your resignation. There must be an easier way to make a living. But Moses couldn't. This so is the kind of thing you simply say: "Here is my letter. Sorry, bang." get somebody else, and off you go. This is about your walk with God. You had answered a call, and therefore you realize you cannot just wake up in a fit of rage and resign and walk off. sometimes it's, it's not so much human frailty morally speaking but it, it can be your own physical health deteriorating and you're asking the Lord, Lord you've brought me all the way here and now I can hardly do anything with my physical frame nothing it could be difficulties in the marriage it could be difficulties with the children it could be the non-progressive nature of the missions work itself you've been at it 5 10 15 years and there's hardly anything to show for it for all the sweat and toil that you have gone through and sometimes it's just a discouragement with the supporting brethren and churches back home that can also be quite discouraging there was a a Story I was reading just last week of uh, a, a missionary who, who went back home on Fellow. And, fell and uh, it is said that he went to the group in the church that supports his work. And as he sat there, and there they were, the first question he was asked is, uh, So, how many children have you got? And he was thinking, well, that should have been information you should have already known. You're my support team. should have been praying for my kids by name. And so anyway, this article was being written for the purpose of supporting teams in local churches, knowing what they ought to already have under their belt, long before they have immediate communication with the missionary. But things like that can, can be really discouraging. The first two Baptist missionaries that I spoke about who uh, came to Zambia, they, they were about to quit the, the, the work because of lack of support coming from home. In fact, what saved them was um, um, a, a brethren missionary who had been passing from further north and was making his way to South Africa when he found them almost starving to death as it were. And he went and made an appeal to the Baptists in South Africa to come up and work alongside their friends. Again, such situations can really be discouraging. You've crossed land and sea in order to serve together with the brethren back home. You've gone down the mine. Surely you expect them to be faithful in holding the rope up there only to discover they've fallen asleep and you're almost dying down there. I've talked about moral failure in the mission field. But allow me to add one more example and it ties in quite a lot with what we have in Moses' case and that is syncretism in the mission field. Where here you are busy seeking to to help a people come to appreciate not only the God of the Bible but the Bible itself and what it expects of us in our belief of God and our lives for God, the way in which we ought to live as husbands and wives, as as families and as members of the community in terms of a God-honoring life. But you soon discover that unbiblical cultural practices are still so deeply ingrained that everything you are saying to them is falling off them like a water off a duck's back. The edifice of ungodly cultural practices still remaining intact. Here are individuals you've taken out of Egypt, but Egypt ain't coming out of them. Now I want to say that's heartbreaking. Especially when you've been working at it for years. Because you know, you are not willing to be satisfied with a skin-deep Christianity. You want that which is real. Where God is genuinely being honored from the heart and it's making its way out in every aspect of life and living. Let me ask, is that where you are today? Are you identified by any of these really discouraging situations? Do you feel as though perhaps You ought to have just done something else with your life. Are you reaching a point where perhaps you are even beginning to be bitter with God? Because you know he he prevailed over you in order to do what you are currently doing. What we have in the life of Moses is a tonic for our souls. Because when you are in the valley of discouragement, your greatest need is to fix your eyes on God himself. Lose sight of the discouraging circumstances and keep your eyes on God. That's what we find in chapter 33. Moses has just gone through a situation that would have left many individuals burnt out, totally burnt out, discouraged, depressed, in despair, and perhaps on the first airplane back home. But listen to this. In chapter 33, Moses intercedes for the people of Israel in verse 12 downwards. But I'm interested in verse 17 and verse 18. And Moses said to the Lord, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you. So the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you've spoken, I'll do for you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And here it is. Moses said, please show me your glory. Let's put ourselves in Moses' shoes at this point. He is in a camp of Israelites. Israelites. And clearly, they have shown him that they do not really appreciate God. They are still so self centered, so blind spiritually, so bankrupt in terms of godliness and morality, that they even want to head back to Egypt. And that is a sight wherever he looks. And yet, as he's dealing with God, his friend is saying, "Lord, let me see something of who you are." That's his cry. Let me see something of who you are. The circumstances are too discouraging, too discouraging. But I know that in seeing something of who you are, I may draw genuine strength. And really, that's where we ought to go. It is to go back to God. And to seek to, as it were, bask in his presence. The circumstances cannot change. God can change those circumstances. But he is a sovereign God. He does as he pleases. His ways are inscrutable. Far beyond our ability to understand. So it is enough to gaze at who he is. Isn't that what life is for any child in the home? I remember when I was growing up, every so often at school, I would go through a very difficult time. Perhaps I would be beaten up by some bully. And I know exactly where my mind used to go. To daddy. In fact, I remember on one or two occasions threatening saying, "I'm going to tell Dad." Now, somewhere at the back of my mind, I would be thinking, "Well, I hope Dad can beat up this guy because you know some of these guys were really big. But what I'm talking about now is that emotional moment when Dad's car would finally arrive at the school car. And the way in which the fountain of tears would suddenly gush out all the tears as I ran towards Dad. I ran towards him. Everything that I can ever hope for lies in throwing myself onto his laps. Hugging Dad. I know all my cares can remain with him. That's what Moses was doing. He's saying, Lord, reveal yourself to me. To my weary soul, reveal yourself to me. Again, I just want to quickly ask whether. In the midst of your discouragement, you've done anything of that. Just closing the world out, closing it all out, and being alone with God, and saying to Him, Lord, I cannot understand. But show me your. let me see you glorified, honored in what's happening now. They in I will have my full joy and peace and fulfillment. Lord, in all this, show me your glory. In many ways, This is what the Lord seeks to do with us in those most difficult times. Because, you see, often, yes, we are genuine servants of the Lord, but often mingled with our work is so much of personal ego. So much of it. And the Lord knows it. And so he deliberately comes into our situations and brings about times like this, that the thought that I am some great servant of the Lord who's going to have this major impact in this part of the world and consequently leave my name in the annals of history. (laughs) At that point, you begin to realize that the Lord can do with me anything, anything he pleases. He can bring to ashes, to a heap of ashes, all the work I have done, if he wants to. And so in that moment of despair, you say to him, Lord, I surrender I only want your glory your glory your glory and God has you exactly where he wants you because that's what ministry is really all about it is to glorify him And he decides how he will be glorified. He decides. And so in humbling yourself, and as it were, falling on your knees, and simply asking to see his glory, that his glory may shine, he has also achieved a major victory, your sanctification your sanctification. That's very important for God. It is. It's perhaps much more important than the outward structures that are often mistaken for achievement in the eyes of the world. For God it's what's happening in human hearts and especially in your heart as his servant. And I'm quite sure, I say this to our people back home, that you pick up any biography of one of God's choice servants across history, someone who is your spiritual hero, you read that biography And you will discover that half the things that will happen with that person, you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be a hero, but please cut this off. I I don't want this to be true in my life. Because they would have gone through immense and intense suffering and discouragement. And yet that's what God used to turn them into that sparkling diamond that we all admire. Those same discouraging moments. That's what caused them to finally say to the Lord, Lord, burn all the dross desires of my life. Bend them all, but leave me with yourself. Show me your glory. I want us to quickly move on to to see how God showed his glory to Moses. And that takes us finally to chapter 34 and our text. The way the Lord showed himself to Moses was basically by revealing to Moses especially his goodness. That I am a good God. I know the circumstances in your life seem to be saying the exact opposite. But Moses, I am a good God. And One of the crowns on top of, one of the jewels on top of this crown of goodness is my faithfulness. Let's read verse 6. Exodus 34 and verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful And gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And it goes on to open that up a little more. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then he makes it clear that, that that doesn't make him a kind of flabby grandfather, allowing anything to be done to his wonderful suit. You know, the, the little grandchildren bringing mud from wherever it is and throwing it onto grandpa. And grandpa's just saying, <laughs> these little kids, <laughs> He's saying, no, when it comes to issues of my morality, I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In other words, I ultimately remain faithful to myself. Ultimately. I am faithful to who I am. But even before we get there, let's let's capture this. This is what brought strength. This is what was a tonic to the soul of Moses. When, like the Victoria Falls, the floods of, of God's goodness began to pour unto Moses. Pour unto him. In the midst of all the discouraging circumstances, to realize that seated on the throne of the entire universe, in the midst of all the galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, on that rainbow sacred throne is a heart of infinite love Whew. That's it. That's it. Let's go back to that picture of you being troubled by the bully. And then your dad comes. And you know him. If there's ever been a loving person on the planet, you've known your dad's love. It makes a world of a difference as you throw yourself onto his laps and he holds you. That's what's happening. Against his own breast, his own heart. And you know that I am covered over by love. Now that's only human love. What more divine love? Can you imagine? The hymn writer says, Oh, to lie forever here. Doubt and care and self resign while he whispers in my ear. I am his and he is mine. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. Gracious, slow to anger Moses is drinking it in drinking it in are you a weary soldier today and as you see everything going wrong around you you're probably beginning to be filled with immense doubt Is this work going anywhere? Is there a purpose to life and living? Is there a good agenda to history where it's going? Remember this. And I'll phrase it for you. God is good. Let me say it again. God is good. And what you need to do is allow the spirit of the living God to minister to your heart until that stony being inside you that's beginning to to be nothing but a grudge, begins to, to break, begins to melt. And your own heart is overwhelmed with this fact. He is good. He is good. He is good. And in the midst of that goodness, he is faithful. He will continue his work to the end. Yes, at this moment, it may look like I am going backwards instead of going forward. But he is one who in all things works according to the counsel of his own will, works for the good of his people, those who are the cold according to his purpose. and to rest in that to rest in that he is God it's amazing and with that I must close that this was happening at a time when God was writing again the ten words the the ten commandments and saying as it were get up Let's let's give this a second attempt. Here is a second chance. This is who I am. And could that be what the Lord might be saying to you today? Get up. Come on, get up. The world hasn't come to an end. Get up. Yes, things have been destroyed, but get up. Come on, get up. My child, we've got work to do. Come on, get up. Strengthen your knees. Get up. And let's go back. Let's go back. I am a good God. And by the end of history, that will be abundantly clear. Oh, may any weary soul in here today Hide in that cleft of the rock and let the goodness of God pass by you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we all need to hear this, if not today, at some stage in our work of ministry. We want to thank you for you. We want to thank you for who you are. And Lord, we plead that, like Moses, in those darkest moments of our lives, we may experience you afresh and especially. Your overwhelming goodness. A God of faithfulness. Lord, we need you. And we pray for any among us today that might be in that moment, that dark moment of discouragement and despair, that they might seize from man and look above them. Trust in God and do the right. We plead for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.